Good morning, everyone. It's good to see everyone. Uh, we have a, a couple of things that we just sort of family housekeeping stuff that we'll, uh, we'll address before we um, get into the message. But um, it's a beautiful day outside, and we're blessed that you chose to be with us this morning. Um, I'll do my best to keep, keep uh, uh, a nice, short, tight message and, and expect the Holy Spirit to come and, and bless us and minister to us. Um, but God is so good, and we've been saying goodbye as best we can. I know that from time to time when people leave for college and, and things, uh, we, we, try and, we try and pray for them. Sometimes we, we get it, sometimes we don't. But I know of two that are leaving today, so I just want to have... Uh, those two stand up, and we'll just pray for them quickly. That's Ariel Cannon. Are you? Is Ariel here? Oh, there she is, Ariel. She's going away to Fuller Seminary in California, leaving this Wednesday. Yep. And I. And so we're going to pray for her. Judah Tuttle's leaving for Pennsylvania, Tuesday-ish. And I noticed that uh, I heard in. In after the fact, but Bailey Martin left this past week, and we want to just lift these three up for prayer in prayer. He's gone. He's, Bailey's not here, but um, we know that prayer can transcend distance and all that, and uh, we want to see God's best for you guys. We always, it, it's always tough to say goodbye to people, you know, and, uh, but we want, we want God to do his work in, in you guys, and, and so Father, we just, let's just pray together. Father, we thank you. God, that you, uh, these moves, these decisions, these changes of location, and in this time, none of this is a surprise to you. And we trust that um, each and every person, Father, is, is in your hands and in your perfect will, Lord. So we just bless what you're doing. We bless, God, uh, your work in their lives, God, and we ask, God, for great fruit. We ask that you... Father, that you surprise them with your goodness, God, that you reveal new dimensions of who you are. And I thank you for that, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Make sure you catch them on the way out and tell them how much you love them. Also, uh, David and Sarah Wright left back in May to take a position down in Oklahoma, and they had served for about five years very faithfully here at Faith Chapel and... um, so they've been gone, and we've been without, uh, you know, some staff here during the week. And so we are now announcing a change in that, which is good. And so uh, this past week, the elders decided to make an offer to Mary Schnur to be the youth and young adult pastor. So, uh, And so I'm going to have Mary come on up with the elders. We're just going to take a second and pray for her. And um, She needs lots of prayer. <laughs> She's going to be working with me full time. God help her. But uh, she served so amazingly over the last four years. She's been here four years. Came as, uh, she came to connect with her family and connected to our church. She's lived in our home. And that shocks me that she's still here too. Uh, <laughs> But, um, you know, over the years, I think all of us in this room, if you've been here, have seen um, her gifts, her willingness to serve, her heart for God. Um, You know, she came bringing some of the the kind of DNA that we're going after from the school that she went to. And and so it's an honor to have you on our staff. 
And um, so we're going to pray. Let's just uh, take a second and pray for Mary and just bless what God's doing. And we want to also just release a new level of anointing on your life. Yeah. Amen. Awesome. Do you want me to pray? Yeah, we need catchers. (laughs) So, God, we just thank you for bringing this gift to us, God. We just thank you for what you're doing um, in this church and how you're just using her to fill in. And, and Lord, it's going to overflow. I thank you for overflow through her life, God, that you're bringing overflow. So, God, we bless her. We welcome her in the position, God, that you've placed her in. We say more, God. We ask that you would just fill her up more. Bless her, God. We thank you that you're anointing her and you're filling her for the call that you have before her, God, that you're going to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that she could ask or think or even imagine in Jesus' name. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Yes, Father. Yes, Father. Thank you, God. Father, I just thank you that there's never any lack. There's, there's never lack, God, with you. And God, what you've called her to, you will equip her and even give her an abundance of what she needs to be successful. Father, I pray, Lord, that uh, she continues to walk in as, a, as an example, Father, as a passionate lover of Jesus. Amen. And Father, Lord, that, uh, Lord, that even now, Lord, the vision and the desire that we have as, as we uh, bring her on staff, Father, that Amen. you would just do exceedingly abundantly more than that, Father. So we bless what you're doing, God. We thank you for this moment. We thank you for this moment. And God, we just ask for a fresh release of all that you have for her in her life, in her life, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. name. Amen. Amen. So this is good news. Um, it's a great honor to have you here. We want to welcome our live stream audience. Um, we're also very honored that you take the time to join us during the service. And we pray that God touches you just as dynamically as people in this place are touched week after week. We also would love for you, if at all possible, if you're in the area, to come by and join us here. Uh, there's something special about being with the family of God, you know? You can catch a, a podcast or a video or something like that and be blessed by it, totally blessed by it. But there's something that God created related to family that's very important. So um, we love that you join us. Come see us. Come visit us um, if, you, if you can. Also, if you're here and you like, you're a note taker and you like things orderly, we have the notes for every message uh, in the Faith Chapel app that Joshua was mentioning and you can access the notes and the scriptures and all that stuff. Um, and also, because we live stream, we like to leverage technology to spread the, the message. And there are people at the, you know, all around the world that catch the messages. Um, so we ask if you have, if you've liked Faith Chapel on Facebook, that you share the message. Um, and then more and more people will see it and be blessed by it. Amen? So last week we started a series called Awe Struck. Awestruck. It's an odd word, um, but it's sort of this whole concept for me as it relates to last week and the week before uh, came out of something personal, you know. 
Um, I was just, I was at a retreat with my wife for a few days, and I just, just give me a second here. God's, God is so amazing, and sometimes I, I, try, I tend to try to not, not get emotional, but when it's real, like, I, sometimes I'm not good at hiding it, but, um, so, God is amazing, and he was just, cha- I was just being challenged, you know, it's like, sometimes God is, he wants to reach us, he wants to speak to us, he wants to connect to us, and in the midst of our crazy lives and our busy lives, I, I think sometimes it's easy for us to miss those moments, those opportunities. It's easy for us to, to keep going when God's like, uh, you know, sending the signal, sending the message, shouting it louder, sending other people to... And the reality is, you know, God is a God who speaks all the time, and, and I'm in a position where I'm trying to hear him more and more and more. So I, I just sensed in that, in, those, in that season last week, week and a half, a couple weeks ago now, that um, the busyness had gotten to me. And it had taken my focus off of the, ma- the, amazing, the amazingness of God. And he is way more amazing than our minds could ever fathom. He's so much more awesome than we can comprehend. And so um, I just began digging and listening and reading and just about the awesomeness of God. Because what happens is when we start to, I'll give you an example. Our family, you know, when we get so familiar with our family, we start to take our family for granted. We start to take the good things that we have in life for granted, you know. And then we begin, and this is a sad statement, but sometimes when those good things in our lives are no longer there, then we realize how good it was. And I think similarly when we talk about God and the goodness of God, it's ever present. It's ever real in our lives. You know, he's, he's there. He speaks. He's kind. He's merciful. He's gracious. He's forgiving. And sometimes I think it's just easy to take this God for granted, this God that we sing to, this God that we think about. I think it's easy to take this God for granted. And when we do, we sort of make him a little bit smaller in our eyes. He becomes, he becomes less of this glorious, amazing, awesome God that, that caused people when they encountered him to tre- literally tremble. I mean, the awe of God. I don't want, personally, I don't want to lose the awe of God in my life. And so today, uh, the second message in this series, it may be the last, I just don't know what God has next week, but um, I'm calling this message Seeing God for Who He Is. Because I think what happens to us is we fail to see Him. We see the mess around us. We see the struggles, the frustrations, the challenges, the people that irritate us. We, we look on this vertical plane around us, and here's this amazing God who not only wants to help us through this stuff, but also um, we, we just get our eyes off of him. 
And so it's my heart's desire to see him for who he is. So some of what I'm sharing with you is just birthed out of where I'm at, you know, birthed out of thoughts that uh, I've been dealing with and also just study and listening to other people on this topic um, that have really just opened my eyes to see some things. So last week we defined awe as a feeling of reverential respect with fear or wonder. A fearing, a fe- excuse me, a feeling of reverential respect mixed with fear and wonder, or mixed with fear or wonder, depending on how you want to look at it. And so we could also say it this way. When our, when our understanding, when we have this understanding of who God is, this understanding that we have, it meets our experience. There's nothing, there's no response other than awe. When, when, see, we can stand here and talk about God from an understanding perspective till we're blue in the face. A lot of us are smart. A lot of us have been in the faith, in the Christian faith for years. You, you know twice as much as me. I don't think God ever wanted our perspective of him to be solely based upon understanding. I really believe that God wants us to experience his goodness, not just be talked about. You know, not just the I heard stories, but the experiential. You know what God did in my life this week? You know what God said to me today? Do you know what happened when I was pressing in and I've been praying to God about this? Do you know what happened? And that is, he's so personal for everyone in this room. He wants to transcend the understanding and, and cause it to meet with the experiential. There's this, this merging of understanding and experience. And sometimes experience precedes understanding and sometimes vice versa. But the bottom line is no relationship should be about understanding only. That's like, no, that's, that's a contract. It should be something that you enjoy, that you experience relationally with somebody else. And this is the same with our God. So I began to think about Job, and there's this powerful statement that Job makes. After he has this this conversation, this long conversation with his friends about why I'm not guilty, and his friends saying why you are guilty, and why you're having all this bad stuff happen to you, and, and this and that. And then God begins to speak to him. Because I think what began to happen is God who is transcendent, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-amazing, began, in their minds, began to become closer and closer to human. Like, sometimes we box God in, and we become really close to, in our minds, like, God's not far off from me. He's, he's, he's a lot like me. He's just a little bit more powerful. And that begins to limit God. And there's this amazing statement after God speaks to Job for four straight chapters, 38, 39, 40, and 41. Chapter 42 has this verse in it, in verse 5, that just to me speaks of the awe. Job had this this realignment with the reality of who God is. And he's like, God's way up there. I'm I'm way down here. Here's here's what it said in Job 42.5. It says this. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. 
It's one thing to, to know about this God. It's another thing to encounter this God. And we see through the entire Bible these encounters. Through the entire Bible these encounters. And so last week, just to, just to touch on a few quick points that, that we talked about, God wired us for awe. Like we have this awe capacity that nothing in all of creation, nothing else in all of creation has. You know, the animals aren't in awe of each other because one can do greater feats than the other. You understand? One can do two backflips instead of one, and that one's a legend now in the animal kingdom. It's not like that. Human beings were created to be in awe. And uniquely, we are wired to find our fulfillment of awe in God. And so we looked at the ways that uh, the responses of human beings in the Bible responded in awe to the goodness of God. And, and we see it through creation. David writes, I, I'm pretty sure David's the author in Psalm 8. He says, he says uh, you know, when I think of the heavens and, and all that you've made, and all this amazing creation, what is man that you're, that you're mindful of him? We, we, he's just, he's awestruck by all that God has done. And all of a sudden he's looking at himself like, I can't believe you look to me the way you do. I can't believe you love me the way you do. This amazing, immense, powerful God loves human beings the way he does. And I think he was awestruck in that moment. So we see, we see in creation, uh, the Bible says that all of creation speaks about the glory of God. We, we see an awe response in human beings um, to God's power. When God exhibits his power, that uh, there's this response of awe. We looked at last week, I think it was Luke chapter 5, when Jesus raised this young boy from the dead right in front of all these people. And they were just, the Bible says that they were in awe and praised God. Like, the supernatural power of God will leave you in awe when you see it. And we also saw um, responses to the amazing holiness of God in the Bible. When Isaiah encountered God in Isaiah chapter 6, he began to see himself for who he really was. He says, whoa, I'm a a man of unclean lips. This is a prophet of God. And, And I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the glory. They've, they've, they've beheld God Almighty. And he was just awestruck by the amazing, amazingness of God. And, and last week I told you I can't exhaust all the attributes, but I did talk about holiness, power, and creation. These are three ways that we see the amazing glory of God and we're left in awe. Well, I want to share one more with you today. Um, during this message. And here's another way that we are left in awe of this amazing God that we're talking about. And that is when we consider our great salvation. Our great salvation. The Bible says, the Bible calls it so great of a salvation. So great. This salvation is so great. It's way beyond what you can imagine. So let's look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28. And I'm going to try and help break this down a little bit. Um, verse 28 says in Hebrews 12, Therefore, 
Since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. We have received something so great, so amazing, it's been made available to us. We're only left in the place of having to receive it. You know, I think we can dumb down the reality of the goodness of God. I think we can, you know, just get in a mode of taking it for granted. And if we could just take a step backwards and begin to look at this great salvation, it should leave us in a place of worship with reverence and awe. And so where, where is this coming from? If we look back in that same chapter, there's this comparison that the writer of Hebrews does. I think it's very powerful. And it says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse, four, verse 18, just trying to paint a picture. This is the author trying to paint a picture of what we really have. What God has really done for us. And he says this, you've, you've not come to a mountain that can be touched and is burning with fire. If you go back, this is a reference to uh, Exodus chapter 19. God had led the Israelites out of Egypt they had been in slavery for 400 years. He'd, he'd brought plagues upon the Egyptians. He had parted the Red Sea. He'd done amazing things. And he had revealed himself as a provider, as a protector, as this amazing, awesome God. Well, he wanted to reveal himself to them in new ways. Because that, that, was, that didn't exhaust all of who he was. And so, Hebrews 12 is a reference back to Exodus 19. And and so he's trying to help these Israelites um, understand who he was. He's trying to reveal himself to them. And it says, you've not come to a mountain that can be touched and is burning with fire to darkness, gloom, and storm. They actually literally experienced this. As he's revealing himself to them, Moses was up on the mountain. God tells him, go down to the people and have them gather together. It's this scary scene. There's lightning and thunder, and the Bible says that there was fire burning and smoke billowing, and there's this trumpet blast that doesn't stop. It only gets louder and louder. There's just this, this scene that's like awe-inspiring. And, and so it, it goes on, darkness, gloom, and storm, verse 19, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it beg no further word be spoken. To them, Verse 20, because they could not bear what was commanded. And, and there was this perimeter put around the mountain that if animal or person crossed it, it wouldn't be good news for them. It says if, if even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. I'm trembling with fear. This is, you want to know the good news about this? The author says, you've not come to that mountain. That's, that's a mountain of the past. That's a, that's a covenant of the past. That's an experience of the past. This is not the day we live in. We, we have a great salvation, you know. Uh, could you imagine that moment? I mean, Moses said he was trembling with fear. The response of the people, that they were trembling you know, afraid for their lives because this awesome God had revealed himself in a way that they had not seen before. 
You see, for the 400 years, they had heard stories about this God. They had heard stories, and finally God raises up this guy, Moses, who was a deliverer to help them get out of Egypt. But in the midst of this, they're complaining. God brought us. He should have just left us there. We had it better there. You know, all this complaint. And he has to reveal this glorious, powerful, almighty God to them. Who were gonna, these people were going to be under the law. They're, they were going to be under, uh, under a system that, you know, judges sin. A system that had to deal with sin harshly. It says we haven't come to that mountain. It was fear-based. A lot of, the response was a lot of fear. Verse 22, here's the good news. I'm just thankful for our great salvation. Verse 22, but you have come. You haven't come to that mountain. You've come to this other mountain, okay? This is the one that you, this, when we talk about our relationship with God and the goodness of God, you've come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You've come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. Come on. To the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You've come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of righteous of the righteous made perfect. To Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. And to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. I'll get into that in just a second. But, but God wants us to know that we, we have a great salvation. And this should leave us, as opposed to the people of old, in a, to a, in a sense of awe that God is so good to us. I mean, he's good. As, as Elder Kevin said, he's really good. You have no idea how good he is. Uh, he's been good. He loves us. The thoughts towards us are greater than the sand on the sea. You know, he's, he's, he's in our past, present, and future. He forgives us. He takes care of us. He watches out for us. He's a good father. He's near to us. He invites us in. He invites us closer. He's made a way for us to not walk in guilt and shame and condemnation. Right? We can be free from all that stuff. Now, sometimes people use the grace of God as a license to live freely uh, to pursue their own desires. Well, God will forgive me so I can go do this. I can say this. I can live this way. And that's not what the grace of God is for. The grace of God is to teach us to say no. It, it's to help us to walk holy and upright and change the world. We carry the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. He's called Holy Spirit, right? And so he's powerful. He's also holy. He, he's... he's He's with us to guide us, to teach us the things that Jesus taught, to remind us of God and and the things of God, to draw us closer to who God is. We have a great salvation. You know, it's it's almost like he's holding our hand, helping us. Come on, we can go this way. We can go this way. We can get closer to God. We can pursue him. We can know him. So this great salvation not only made a way for our sins to be dealt with, but also for a relationship to be restored. Actually, not just a relationship, but everything that was taken away in the garden was restored through Jesus. Everything. Jesus came to reverse what happened that day. 
in the garden. It is a great salvation. It's a great salvation. So um, one is a fear-based thing, one, one mountain or one experience in the Old Testament. But because of Jesus, forgiveness has been extended. The Bible says that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. What that means is that when God looks at you, he sees you the same way he saw his perfect son without sin. That is amazing. We're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It is a great salvation. I was looking at a, a, a commentary, and I found this related to that last portion of verse 24. And it says, uh, I'll read verse 24. It says again, we've come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. And I began, what? that's a weird comparison, you know? Jesus' blood and Abel's blood. Abel, if you remember, in the book of Genesis, was the, the, the son of Adam and Eve who was killed by his brother Cain, his older brother Cain. And he was innocent, murdered. The Bible says that his, uh, you know, uh, his blood still cries out. It's sort of a picture, if you think about it, of Jesus, you know? Innocent blood that's shed, that's, that's crying out. And his blood was shed in the earth. And I found these two statements I thought were really powerful. It said, Abel's blood cried for justice from the earth, while Christ's blood extends mercy to sinners from heaven. You see, there's this comparison. It says, it, we come to the sprinkled blood of Jesus that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. It's better. Right? The blood of Jesus that was shed, the innocent, was shed for the guilty, right? Um, Abel was the innocent, was shed because of the guilty. It says, the blood of the, Abel's blood cried for justice from the earth, while Christ's blood extends mercy to sinners from heaven. The other statement is, Abel's blood brought guilt on Cain. Christ's blood frees us from all guilt and shame. Amen. It's a, better, it's a better covenant. It's a better blood. It's, it speaks greater to us. This should leave us in awe. This is David's response. What is man? I mean, how in the world could you look so favorably upon mankind? How in the world could you love mankind the way you do? You're so vast. You're so amazing. You've made us in your image. How? Why? I don't understand. This is David's cry. We have a great salvation. That should leave us in awe. Now, going back to my story, and um, I, I just think that, you know, where, where I just felt like what God was processing with me is that if we're not careful, we can fall into routine. And when we fall into routine, we take for granted what we have. We box God in. We box people in. We don't appreciate them. We're not thankful. We don't have the gratitude flowing from within us that we should have as it relates to God. And we could lose sight of God when we fall into that routine. Um, so I, I, don't, I don't know about you, but I don't ever want my life to be routine as it relates to God. I, I don't want to ever diminish the greatness of who he is through my life, but also as I direct my heart to him. And I know that there are some things that could limit my, my gratitude to him. And I just want to share with you two as 
Um, I just take the next 10 minutes or so to finish what I, what the Lord laid on my heart today. So I feel like there's two ways, two, and there's more than two, but the two that I want to share with you, there's two ways that our lifestyle can limit our ability to see the awesomeness of God. And we fall into this. Two ways that our lifestyle, the way we live, the way we demonstrate who we are, and it's prevalent in the Christian community, big time. Um, they can limit the awesomeness of God. And here, here's the first one, half-hearted worship. Now, what I'm going to share with you is in no way, please hear me, in no way condemning anyone in this room, okay? But anyone in this room can fall into half-hearted worship. You know, we don't, we, we take very lightly the seriousness of coming together with the family of God. I've, I've fallen captive to it sometimes, you know. We show up late. Some people come after worship because, you know, it's not their favorite singer. I don't remember. I mean, when I think of worship, I don't think I'm worshiping someone up here with a mic in their hand. You know. I think God is worthy of our worship. And, and when we get to the human pettiness, we can miss out on the reality of worshiping this amazing God. We can limit our awe by, by letting the pettiness get in. Oh, that I don't like those songs. I wish they would sing songs from you know, this generation or this era. I'm not going to come. And there are churches that will sing songs from that generation and that era, but we're, you know, we're going to be... We're going to be who we are and do what we do. But if that's going to limit you from being with the family of God, that, that's a pro- I think that's a problem. I'm just going to be honest with you. Half-hearted worship can, can be limiting to us. It can, it can cause us to look vertically at a problem instead of horizontally to the one who is, the, who is able to solve a problem. You know, when we begin to look at situations around us, we're taking our eyes off of the God who can solve them. This is the epic story of Peter walking on water. He, he you know, this guy is amazing. He walked on water, right? We can't condemn him for falling because he took his eyes off the Lord when he first walked on water. I don't know anyone who walked on water yet, right? But the story, to me, the main principle is, Keep your eyes on God, the Lord, Jesus Christ, and when you do, you can do amazing things. But when you start to look around at things around you, circumstances, situations, storms, people, you're taking your eyes off of God. And when you take your eyes off of God, you're going to miss the ability to operate in the supernatural. That's how I see it. There's probably more principles to that story than that, but... Um, you know, Peter is a great example. This guy walked on water when he's looking at Jesus. Come on, that is amazing. A human being walked on water. That's so cool, right? And the Bible tells us nothing is impossible to him or her that believes. So this half-hearted worship concept has just been stirred in my heart. Psalm 86 says this. This is a commitment from the psalmist. Uh, I didn't look up the author. Psalm 86, verse 12, it says this, I will praise you. There's this determination uh, from the heart. I want to praise you, Lord my God, with all my heart. You know? 
I'm not going to worry about who's sitting next to me. I'm not going to worry about playing my, my little phone game while, while I have an opportunity to look upon the greatness of God. I'm not going to just be playing around searching Facebook because they played one too many songs for me, you know? Or taking care of other business besides focusing my heart and my attention on God. That is half-hearted worship. And the psalmist says, you know, despite all the distractions, despite all the things going on in my life, I'm going to focus on, I'm here to focus on God. I'm going to set my eyes on him. I'm going to worship him. I'm going to love him. I'm going to adore him. I'm going to tell him how great he is. I'm going to look up with amazement upon his goodness in my life. And we just sit there. Yeah, oh, I hate this song. He didn't hit that note, you know. Oh, they're off tune. And 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 I mean, can you see the little the littleness that it takes to distract us from the greatness of God? I mean, maybe we should just do a cappella, and I'll just pick somebody next Sunday to lead. You know, I'll just. Mary, you could do a lot of great, a lot of things well. However, <laughs> but I, I, want us, I want us to grow up in the faith so that the little things, you see, when, when God revealed himself to those Israelites in Exodus 19, it was all the little things. I mean, here's God that delivered them from 400 years of slavery, bondage, you know, they were, they were being made to make, it was just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And here's God's people, God's favor, God's blessing that he wanted to give to them. And, and they're just focused on, well, we had to, I wish we had the leeks and onions from Egypt. I'm like, are you kidding me? Who's going to sit there and munch on a leek and an onion? I, it, but that's, that's us. Isn't that us? It's half hard. It's like, you know, yeah, I'm grateful, but, you know, we've, we've got something else that, uh, we just got something else to complain about. We're looking for an opportunity to exhibit our disgust. So, so the psalm says, I will glorify your name forever, for great is your love toward me. You've delivered me from the depths, from the realm of the dead. Like, look at what you've done. I'm going to praise you forever. My, your, your praise is... It's going to be always on my lips. I'm going to love you, Lord, with all my heart. This is what the psalmist said. I'm determined to love God. I'm determined to fix my eyes upon him. I'm not going to, I'm not going to take these moments lightly. I challenge you, man. Press into God. Come on time. Come early. Meet with people. Love people. Right? And then when it's time to enter into songs together corporately, of worship, let's go all in. Let's, let's do this. Let's, I'm telling you, there's times that we read, even in the Bible, when God's glory comes down. It says not even the priests were able to stand. Now, could you imagine? You know, you wouldn't have to hear me that day. It's, it's, it's worth worshiping with all your heart. Right? It, we want more of God. And there's no condemnation in this room. I'm just telling you there's more, and we're going after it, okay? There's more. It reminds me, 
when you think about the half-hearted stuff, it reminds me of Malachi. If you ever read Malachi, it's three chapters, last book of the Old Testament. And the first chapter is talking about God, God is saying to these people, like, you are giving me half-hearted worship. You're giving me half-hearted devotion. You're bringing me, like, the worst of your flock to sacrifice to me, the blind, the lame animals. And you're keeping the good ones to yourself. Don't you think I'm worth a little bit more than that? And, and he's saying, come on, you, you, you give me your best. I'll give, I've already given you my best. Give me your best. That's what he's challenging them to do in Malachi. Giving God our best. And he was so, at that point in time, he's saying, we might as well just close the doors of the temple. We might as well just shut it down. Because what you're bringing to me is not good enough. Give me your best. That's what he's saying in in Malachi chapter 1. I was just thinking about that. Because the reality is worship is love expressed. Worship is, it's got to be expressed. If I were to say, you know, you know I love you, uh, but don't ever expect me to tell you and don't expect me to give you hugs because I've already, you know, you know I love you. No, worship to God is love expressed. Worship to our spouses or to the people in our life is not just a known thing, it's an expressed thing. Okay? That, that's worship. Psalm 34 says this. Oh, boy. Psalm 34, it says, I will extol the Lord at all times. Extol means to, to lift up, to encourage, to speak out, to bless. You know, I'm going to extol him at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted here rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. That word together is a powerful word. That means there's something dynamic that God is going after. Right? You can worship God alone, but he also values worshiping, being worshipped together as a family of God. Worship is, is love expressed. Worship is what you love and the expression of it. Um, I, I went to, with my boys, a Steelers game about a year and a half ago. It was our very first. And we were very excited. It was just, we're Steelers fans. Um, you could shake my hand and, and tell me you're not coming back after the service. And I understand that. Um, but, so it, this was like, I've been a Steelers fan since 1979. A long time. And um, so we, uh, thank you. We, we, uh, we, we went to church that morning and we got to the stadium. It's around noon. The game, and I might be off with the exactness of times, but just bear with me. The game started at 8.30 at night. It's 30 degrees with a good windshield that would drop the temperature down lower than that. We're standing in line for free, uh, terrible towels, you know, and we're just, we're just loving. We're, we're just in awe of the stadium and, and being there and, and all that stuff. You know, the reality is sometimes it's easier to worship a sports team or a sport than it is to worship God, to be in awe of that. And you know, when people 
have our sports fans, they're all in. There's, there's nothing half-hearted about it. You know what I mean? It, sometimes, sometimes we, we are, you know, we're wholehearted with things like sports and half-hearted with things like God. You know? But you could add anything in there. You could talk about politics, the news, academics, careers. And the reality is any of these things arguably could take a position of higher value. You see, worship is, is a dynamic that it's, it's based upon the value we place in something or someone, right? And, and we could worship things more than we could worship God. We could be wholeheartedly devoted for one thing and, and not that devoted to another. We used to be youth pastors, and I remember... You know, parents, they, they put things, if you're doing this now, you know, I love you, I'm not, I don't know that you're doing it, so. They would put things above the teens coming to youth ministry, you know, and it would be almost every excuse in the book, like, oh, you got to study for a test, and, you know, and I value academics, and I value tests, don't get me wrong, um, but if it wasn't a requirement the night before when the kids were, were hanging out with their friends, but they got to miss youth group the next day to study, you know what I mean? Like everything and anything, sports. Families are so in because their kid can throw a ball a little bit further than, than their friends. And, you know, that means that they'll miss church for months and months and months. You know what I mean? And it, what are we teaching our kids when anything and everything comes in the way? It's not that God is awesome and that we're going all in for God, you know? We're going all in for God. We've got to be the kind of people that go all in for him. Amen? Amen. Amen. I told you I had two points. I only gave you one today, okay? But I'm not here to try to give you some formula of developing awe for God in your life. I'm here to say that if we can see the vastness of God, if we begin to fix our eyes on him, awe changes things in our lives. It changes how we relate to people. It changes our, our expression toward God. It, it changes who we are because we realize that I'm not that close to God in, in uh you know, uh, relationally I am, but I, I, God's not come down and he's here and I'm here. Like he is way more amazing, way more awesome, way more powerful. He can love like no one's business. You, you understand like when we begin to see, and that's my heart's prayer for all of us today. Not step one, step two, step three, this is how you're going to get your awe back. But that our eyes would be opened to see this God in all his amazingness. This God in all of his power. That, that we would be able to see him for who he is. Amen? I mean, and when we begin to see him for who he is, it changes us. It changes us. And my heart is that when we leave, that we would say, God, I want to see you. I want to I know you 
more. Again, it's not just the understanding. Please don't just say, you know, go from here and, oh yeah, I enjoyed hearing about awe, but, you know, now I understand it. It's really, awe needs to be tied to some level of encounter with God. And if your heart's open, I know, I know for a fact, he wants to reveal himself to you in new ways. He wants, to, he wants to show himself to you in new ways. And when that happens, everything changes. Would you stand to your feet? I want to I pray for you. I want to pray that the immensity of God would be real to us in our lives. Some of us in this room, maybe we've made him too small in our eyes. You know, he hasn't done things our way. He didn't do things the way we wanted him to. He's still amazing. John, the guy who wrote Revelation, fell at his feet as though he were dead. This is crazy. People who watched the lepers walk away healed from Jesus, the blind eyes that were open, the deaf ears that could now hear and the mute begin to speak, they were left in awe of this God. You know, he's still doing this stuff today. He's still revealing himself today. Would you close your eyes? Let's pray together. Maybe you're here today and you feel like, you know what? Half-hearted worship, yep. That's, I could fall into that category. I would, I would just say this. Just tell God, listen, I, I am so sorry. I'm so sorry that, um, you know, my time in your presence was better expressed with the word boredom than it was expressed with the word all-out praise, words all-out praise. You know, he, he's a loving father. He just wants to draw us closer. So, Father, I just pray for your people today, God, and for me, God, that we would be people of awe, that we would look at you and the things you do and who you are, what you've promised and how you see us through eyes of amazement. God, I bless your people. God, I, I pray, Father, that we would see what we haven't seen. We would see above the mess of life, the challenges we face. And see that you are the solution. <laughs> You've got an answer. So I thank you for what you're doing, God, as we embark on this journey, Lord. I know that you're going to touch lives, and I look forward to hearing the stories as we fix our eyes on you. I bless you today and give you all the praise right now in Jesus' name. I want to dismiss you formally. Um, as always, we have people here um, ministry workers, the ministry team that would love to pray for you if you have any need whatsoever. Um, we love you and we appreciate you being here. There'll be coffee out in the atrium where you can catch up. And we ask that you take any conversations out there um, so that we can honor and respect people who are here to receive ministry. God bless you guys.